Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's pretty common for companies nowadays to have mission statements, that kind of concise statement of why that organisation exists. And you can find all of this information on their websites. Let me give you a few examples. Here's Coca-Cola. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. They're selling cola, soft drink, bubbly water. And that's what they want to try and achieve. They want to refresh the world. Here's what McDonald's say they're attempting to do. And try and keep this in mind when you walk in the door of a McDonald's or particularly when you walk into a bathroom at McDonald's. McDonald's brand mission is to be our customers' favourite place and way to eat and drink. Now, they're pretty good, but this one is pretty spectacular. This is Google. Google's mission is to organise the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. I can't even organise my sock drawer and these people think that they're going to be able to organise all of the information in the world, make it accessible and useful for people. Mission statements are designed to tell you what the main focus of that organisation is what they want to do, what their core business is. And their vision is big. Coca-Cola want to refresh the world, not just a handful of people, not just one continent, the entire world they want to refresh with their soft drink. Google want to organise all information and make it accessible. Now, if you had to come up with a mission statement for the church generally, and for this congregation specifically, what would you say our mission statement was? Would it be big? Would we want to try and achieve a lot? What would we aim to do? What's our core business? What are we here for? If we had to come up with the church's mission statement, what would it be? We've been looking at what the church is, what the Bible has to say about the church over these past few weeks, and we've seen that we are called by God to be his people. The church is not a building, it's not a ritual to participate in, it's not a performance to attend. The church is the people that God has called through the preaching of the gospel, he has called them together to be his people. The church is God's people serving one another, 
working together to encourage and build each other up as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family, and to serve the world. But the core business of the church, the main purpose for which we exist, what's that? What should our mission statement be? They say in the military, I believe, that in battle, it's the final order from your commanding officer that supersedes all other orders. It's the last thing that they say, that's the thing that you need to listen to. No matter what orders, other orders may have been given, the final order supersedes all other orders. So what did Jesus, our commanding officer, say? What were his final orders to his disciples? Well, we actually have two places in the New Testament where we find that. We find it at the beginning of the book of Acts, which was what we read just a moment ago, but we also find it at the end of Matthew's Gospel. But essentially, he's saying the same thing. I think Jesus was abundantly clear to his disciples what it was that he expected them to be doing. This is what he says in Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I've got all authority and I am telling you to go and make disciples. Tell people about me, tell people about how they can come to the point of having faith in me. The disciples were to make more disciples. There's 11 of them standing there when he says this, and they are to go out and tell other people about Jesus. And Jesus assures them that he will be with them as they go about doing this. The last time that Jesus spoke to his disciples, or the last recorded time that we have, is the one that we read a little earlier from the book of Acts, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 1. They've met together for this final time, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They come to Jesus with a question and they said to him, so is the kingdom going to come completely right now? And I think they still didn't grasp what it was that Jesus was attempting to do. They were waiting for this kingdom of national Israel to be re-established, for, for Jesus to retake the throne in Jerusalem. But I think Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're not thinking big enough here, guys. My kingdom will be way bigger than national Israel. My kingdom is going to be global. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, the area surrounding Jerusalem, and in Samaria, the the old northern part of the kingdom of Israel, and to the very ends of the earth. Sure, we'll encompass all of that territory, Israel, but it's going to go global. This thing's going to the very ends of the earth. Jesus is thinking pretty big with his mission statement. You will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes. And what will the Holy Spirit do? Enable you to be witnesses, Jesus says to them. That's the final command. That's the final instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples. 
that's the core business of the followers of Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus, to bear witness in the lives that they live and to bear witness in the words that they speak. And the rest of the New Testament seems to back that up. Paul wants to say that that's his core business as he goes about telling people, in, telling people about Jesus. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade people. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting sins against them, And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See the connection there? See how that works? As people who've been reconciled to God, been restored to a relationship with God, we now have the task of helping other people to be restored to a relationship with God. He's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. Core business. Right there. That's what God has called us to do. That's what the church exists for. That's why this building is here. And I think for a lot of people that begs the question, is that all churches do? Is that their only business? Well, the answer, I suppose, is yes and no. Yes, it is the core business. It's the primary purpose for the existence of the church. That's what we're supposed to be on about. That's what the very heart of our business is. But I'm sure that there will be other things that we do as well. I mentioned last week, this is a photo of the All Blacks team. Uh, There are 45 people in this photo. Is playing rugby all that the All Blacks do? Well, no. I mean, it's their core business. If they weren't playing rugby, they'd cease to exist as a team. But they do other things as well. They do training. They spend time in the gym. They have dinners and fan days. They do charity work. They visit hospitals and schools. There are social functions. Some of them will need to do some time in jail, but that's another matter. (laughs) But their core business is playing rugby. Right at the very heart of who they are, they are a rugby team. They exist to play rugby. All of those other things will happen and in some ways they will be related to their core business. And the same is true for churches. Churches are made up of a whole range of people who are committed to that same core business. And churches will have a whole range of things that they will do that will help support that core business. There'll be Bible study groups and Presbyterian women's associations and music and playtime and kids clubs and youth groups and committees of management and there'll be people who make sandwiches for homeless people. There'll be some people who teach scripture classes. There'll be pastoral care. We'll be running marriage courses. But all of those things stem from our core business. All of those things are related to our core business. They serve to build up our core business. Let me go back to that passage from 2 Corinthians where Paul says this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. As people who've been reconciled to God, we have become ambassadors, representatives 
God is using us as his ambassadors. If you have been reconciled to God, didn't don't know whether you recognize this or not, but you're signed on as an ambassador. So really, the only question that you have to ask is, what kind of ambassador are you going to be? Now, your role as an ambassador is is both a great privilege and a great responsibility. We are ambassadors with a message to, to people that they too can have eternal life. I mean, there could be no greater privilege than being able to share that message with people. We live in a country where still the the majority of people, around 65% of the population of this country, would say that they acknowledge God's existence, that they know that God is there, and that in some way that they ought to be relating to God. But it's not just some distant power, but a person to relate to. 65% of our population would still say that. Some are making a kind of an attempt to find God, problem for most people is they either don't know where to look or or they're looking in the wrong places. And we have the privilege of actually sharing with them this message about Jesus. That Jesus is the way that you can know God. That Jesus is the, the way by which you can be made right with God. That Jesus is the way to eternal life. But there's also a great responsibility involved here as well. See, the day will come when God will judge this world. And when you read passages like this, you recognise the seriousness of that. This is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, talking about that day of judgement. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all who have believed. Not knowing Jesus has serious consequences. If people don't know him in this life, they'll spend an eternity cut off from him. And do you see the basis for the final judgment? They did not know God and did not obey the gospel. I think really they're the same thing. Obeying the gospel is how you know God through Jesus. When God judges this world, the basis for the judgment will be quite simple. Jesus said exactly the same thing. He says that on the last day, on the day of judgment, there'll be people, even people who've done lots of good things in their life, who will be turned away. And why will they be turned away? Well, let Jesus say it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. They're not turned away because of what they have or haven't done. They're turned away because they don't know Jesus. They're turned away because they don't have a relationship with God. And let's hear from Jesus again. How does he define eternal life? Well, this is what he says. Now, this is eternal life. That they may know you, this is in a prayer, he says that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. great privilege and a great responsibility being an ambassador and if you're reconciled to God if you have become that follower of Jesus if you have your trust in him then the question you have to ask is what kind of ambassador will I be so how do we do it 
How do we fulfil that role as an ambassador? How do we get about our core business? Probably the first and the most important thing to remember is that we can be ambassadors just with the life that we live. This is, again, from Jesus. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people hide a lamp uh, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The very first and the most obvious way that we can actually be those ambassadors is just with the life that we live. The attitudes that we have, the values that we have, the way that we treat people. You'd like to think that they know that you are a Christian because of the way that you live, that you present Christianity in a favourable light. So in your workplace, in your home, wherever it is that people are watching you, that they would see the life that you live. They'd recognise the values that you have, the kindness and the compassion and the generosity and the concern that you show and that they know that you do that because of your love of Jesus. I knew a guy here in Sydney who was a well-known surgeon at one of the major hospitals here in Sydney and he died a few years ago. I didn't have an opportunity to get to the funeral but I ran into a friend of mine who'd been at the funeral and he said it was, it was a little bit sad. My friend said that during the funeral people got up and spoke about his involvement with church and his Christian faith and my friend said that when they walked out of the church he could hear dozens of little groups saying, I had no idea about his Christianity. I had no idea that he was involved in a church. All of these people that he'd worked closely with over a really long period of time knew nothing about him being a Christian. You'd like to think that people who knew you, maybe not really well, but maybe your neighbours or, or people that you work with, You'd like to think that they knew that you were a Christian because of your attitudes and your behaviour and, and your values. But we also need, need to be ready for people to be able to hear the words, to be able to hear the gospel explained. We need to make sure that we speak up about what it is that we believe. For a lot of people that you know, you may be the only Christian that they know. That will probably be increasingly the case in this country. So we need to make sure that we're ready to tell people about what it is that we believe or at the very least help them to find out about what it is that we believe. Give them a good book to read or a DVD that they can watch. Invite them to come to a church event or, or maybe even invite them to come to church. We need to help people to find out how they can be reconciled to God. Paul's words here are pretty powerful. He says this, How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, we need to be ready to take that first step. I'm sure that there are people who are sitting here right now and thinking, so does that mean I have to be Billy Graham? Do I have to stand up and preach to people? No, you don't have to be Billy Graham. 
The Bible doesn't say you have to be Billy Graham. It just says that you need to be ready to tell people about what's happened in your life. Tell them about the reason for the hope that you have. That's exactly what Peter says. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. You don't have to be able to answer every question that people have about Christianity. You don't have to stand on a street corner and preach. You just have to be ready to tell people about the hope that you have how you came to have that hope and the difference that that hope makes in your life. Let me close with those words from Paul where he says this. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us.